This podcast was recorded on Monday, November 16th. I hope everyone who's listening stays warm and safe during these uncertain times. Anyways, here's the show. Good morning, fellow UNL students. If you're listening for the first time, my name is Edgar Torres. I am currently a sophomore majoring in secondary social sciences education with minors in history, political science, and economics. Today's podcast will include a discussion and an analysis about the latest ethnography I've read in one of my cultural anthropology courses called The Making of a Human Bomb by Nasser Abu Farha. I read this book as part of the World Ethnography Project, which is a project inspired by Anne Morgan, an anthropologist who wants people to be able to read a book from another place in the world. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Quick disclaimer, all individuals speaking or mentioned in this podcast believe in the human rights, decency, and liberation among all people and their cultures around the world, including for both Palestinians and Israelis. Suggesting that Palestinians deserve their land, rights, and a life of dignity is not anti-Semitic or a suggestion that undermines the human rights and values for Israel and their people. Thank you. Nasser Abu Farha is a Palestinian-American businessman who currently lives in the United States. He was born in 1964 in a farming village at the northern tip of the West Bank. In his ethnography, Abu Farha uses his experiences of growing up in Palestine as an example of expertise. He says that growing up in Palestine gives him a level of comfort necessary to discuss sensitive issues with social and political actors. This allows him to get access to insider information for in anthropological analysis, such as getting interviews with the leaders of various martyrdom organizers. Another example of his expertise includes earning a PhD in cultural anthropology and international development from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 2006. Today, he helps the Palestinian region with the trade of Palestinian olive oil with the uh, Palestinian Fair Trade Association he created between the United States and Europe. In the book, The Making of a Human Bomb, published in 2009, Abu Farha answers the question of how and why suicide bombing operations are formed and carried out by Palestinians in the Middle East. Among the culture of Palestinians and others who practice Islam, these operations are known as martyrdom operations. Abu Farha acknowledges this because these practices are seen as heroic and as instances of sacrifice to the Palestinian resistance. In the Western world, these operations are thought of, you know, more in a negative connotation because of the language the media uses to describe these practices such as suicide bombings or acts of terrorism. But, however, these martyrdom operations aren't viewed like this by Palestinians at all. And in order to understand why, Abu Farha talks about the centuries of history, culture, and political constructions of Palestinians. He stresses that learning about the story of Palestinians is important in order to understand um, you know, where Palestinians come from and why they feel motivated to sacrifice for their land. In Palestinian culture, land is treated as a homestead rather than real estate. It is only handed down through family or to those who are very close to them. 
Farming and raising animals on the land, which is seen as sacred to Palestinians, has been ingrained in Palestinian culture for centuries. So, the conflict began when the Ottoman Authority introduced the Loose Land Registry Law in 1858, which allowed land buyers to register large pieces of land that weren't necessarily theirs. Now, European Jewish nationalists, other known as Zionists, were interested in Palestinian land, and they sought to move into the region, but where they were, they were originally unsuccessful. Now, because of how badly the uh, the Jewish population was treated in Europe, the United Nations negotiated with the Jewish people by giving them self-determination and their own sovereignty in the region. Slowly but surely, rich Jewish land buyers began to own land through the land registry law. Palestinian farmers, known as the Fellahin in the region, weren't too bothered by this as long as you know they were still able to live on their land, and as long as they were still able to profit from the crops that they grow. Unfortunately, Jewish land buyers evicted local residents so that new owners could settle on the land. This process persisted through the end of the Turkish rule and during the British rule of Palestine after 1917. Forceful disposition of land is not regarded as a mere loss of land for Palestinians. It is, quote, a blow to one's sense of self, community, and honor. The awareness of the Zionist project in the 1930s, coupled with frustrations about the local leadership of the Palestinian notables and their lack of effectiveness in confronting colonialism, led to new initiatives of resistance. Transforming the endurance of violence and abuse from the Zionist occupation into heroism had an impact on a whole range of social conceptions in the dynamics of Palestinians' encounter with Israel. Abu Farha also talks about multiple ethnographic instances of how the Israeli army incites fear into Palestinians by treating them as second-class citizens. One example of this is the tendency for the Israeli army to occupy Palestinian homes by turning them into their bases for long periods of time. Abu Farha mentioned the 2005 film called Private which I actually watched in order to get a better sense of Palestinian culture and how Palestinians are often treated by Israeli armies. I thought that the film did a great job of representing how important the land is to them and why it was necessary for Palestinians to stay strong and fight against the Israeli takeover of their homes. To further explain Palestinians' rootedness to their land, they also believe that altering their landscape in ways foreign to them is perceived as tampering with their souls and their bodies. Another example of the Israelis' goal of instilling fear among Palestinians is the uncertainty of their future. Constant blockades of major travelways and town blockades have instilled psychological trauma, especially among Palestinian children. Abu Farha explains that living through this constant state of terror in the region causes more ideologicalization and which results in an increase of religious practices. With heightened conflict in the region, the assassinations of Palestinian leaders strengthened the Palestinian resistance rather than weakened it, which led Abu Farha to talk about specific instances of retaliation that he documented towards the Zionist occupation. The following is a direct passage from his ethnography describing an instance of how a Palestinian grew up to learn about their culture and the realization that their freedoms were being constrained by Israeli forces, ultimately leading them to carry out a martyrdom operation. 
Rahib was born in 1985 to a middle-class family. His father owns a pharmacy in Jenin. Rahib lived very comfortably. His father asserted, he did not need a thing. Our financial situation is good. Rahib had two brothers in universities abroad. His family reports that Rahib was a good student throughout his school years. From first grade until the first term of 12th grade, Rahib was the first in his class. In the second term of 12th grade, he was doing poorly, and his teachers were baffled about the sudden change in his performance. His family described him as very personable and helpful to others. He used to open their pharmacy by himself and operate it, which he was fully trained to do. His father stated that Rahib would not let him go to work during the times of unrest and would insist on running the business by himself. While the father was describing Rahib's personality, his mother started crying. Rahib was not politically active in any group. The only sign of political activity that his family noticed was that a few months before his mission, he started hanging posters of martyrs in the house. Yet Um Rahib recalled that during Rahib's early childhood in the Intifada years, an Israeli soldier harassed him. Quote, he was in the entryway of the house. He was only four years old. One shoulder held his head and twisted his whole head and told him, don't you become a terrorist. When Rahib was six, a play about the Intifada was staged at his kindergarten's summer camp. According to his teacher, Rahib would not accept any role other than that of the martyr. During the night of the mission, Rahib was fasting. His father continued to recall the events of the night. On Tuesday, April 9, Rahib came in the late afternoon and he had a new Marine's haircut. He told his mom, I need to take a shower. So, I decided I'm going to get on his case about this Marine's haircut. He came out of the shower and I forgot. He was wearing jeans and a long white undershirt. He is tall and wide, so one of my cousins was around and said, By the grace of God, what a body! Rahib said, This body impresses you. Well, this body will impress you tomorrow. He called his brothers in Ukraine and Jordan and he told them, Do not forget about the Jenin camp. In the evening, he broke his fast, which was strange for us that he had fasted on a Tuesday. About the Asha time before he left, he asked me if I wanted cigarettes or anything, and he asked his mother whether she wanted anything, and she said, no. I told him, just come back by 9 or 9.30. He said, inshallah, or God willing. Apparently, he had stopped by his cousins and had tea with them. He also stopped by his aunts. About 11 p.m., I got worried about him as he did not return yet. I got all the kids of the neighborhood looking for him and asking about him and no one knew where he was. The dynamics described above of Rahib's preparedness to carry out the operation reveal a sense of excitement for the moment. His remark that, quote, this body will impress you tomorrow, alluding to his plans to offer his body in sacrifice reveals his excitement at being a moral person who would gain new social studies for bearing the cost of the sacrifice. Rahib was dropped off by a fairly new car next to a bus stop near Haifa, where many army personnel take the bus. He was dressed in an Israeli army uniform. Rahib had an Israeli army bus pass. He knew little Hebrew. His family said that according to the Israeli media, a female soldier was exchanging looks with him on the bus. Abu Rahib says, The girl told the press that she was planning to get off the bus whenever Rahib gets off in order to meet him and to hook up with him. She reports that he was chewing gum and flirting with her through blowing bubbles and exchanging looks with her. 
Rahib stayed on the bus for about 25 kilometers before he detonated himself. The explosion killed 22 Israelis and Rahib. Rahib left two notes before his death, one addressed to the Palestinian public through Islamic Jihad and the other to his family, his father in particular. In the note to his family, Rahib wrote, Father, hear me. Hear the echo of my voice. I am alive between the people, fighting, in spite of my death. No, I did not die. I now started living, along with the Beloved in Heaven. In this story, we clearly see the life of the martyr through the impact of the sacrificial performance. Being, quote, alive in spite of death, brings the martyr a form of living in death, a preferred form of living over the crippled present life. Rahib sees himself fighting in spite of his death, and further sees that his strength in death is more than what he can project in his living life. To end Abu Farha's ethnography on the Palestinian resistance, he discusses the strategies and politics of martyrdom in Palestine. He acknowledges that the overall strategy of the resistance is liberation, but realizes that martyrdom operations will not be the end-all-be-all in liberating Palestine. Instead, Abu Farha believes that martyrdom operations are an expression of no surrender to the reality and for the Palestinian cause to remain alive in both our memory, the memories of their loved ones, and in the memories of Israelis. Ultimately, martyrdom strategies have definitely put an end to a process through which Israel hoped to empower a Palestinian arm that would control the Palestinian population and enable Israel to maintain its expansion and to conclude the conflict. Reading Nasser Abu Farah's ethnography on the making of a human bomb has certainly given me a perspective I've never experienced before while learning about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in the Middle East. I thought that the way in which he explained and discussed the history of Palestine through the lens of Palestinians themselves was important in understanding the formation and the meanings behind martyrdom operations against Israel in the region. Abu Farha has certainly wrote this ethnography in a very detailed and informative manner. I could tell that being native to Palestine has definitely added significant value to his analysis of martyrdom operations. I would highly recommend this book to anyone who is deeply interested in international affairs and international conflict. Reading Abu Farha's ethnography will definitely help me and others, I hope it does for you, to have you know intellectual discussions in the future about how to go about finding a resolution to this conflict that never seems to end. I hope you learned a bunch from this podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it just like I enjoy talking about this book. Feel free to talk about your ideas on the subject in the Discord. Until next time, we'll have a few updates on what the Biden presidency means for America. So, I'll see you then.